Design systems are in the world around us, from the signs on the side of the highway to the setup of a grocery store, and our products are no exception. But what exactly are design systems, and how do we build them? In this episode, we'll take a look at the foundations of design systems, the benefits and drawbacks, and the process for creating one from the ground up. Let's get started. Welcome to the Ladybug Podcast. I'm Kelly. I'm Allie. And I'm Emma, and we're debugging the tech industry. This week's episode is brought to you by LogRocket. How many times have you struggled to figure out an annoying bug in your app? Well, struggle no more. LogRocket lets you replay what users do on your site, helping you reproduce bugs and fix issues faster. You can see a perfect replay of what your users saw, inspect Redux actions and state at any point in time, view every network request and response, and even inspect console logs and JavaScript errors. LogRocket lets you support your users without the tedious back and forth conversations. Plus, it works with React, Angular, plain JavaScript, Redux, Ember, and Vue. Check out LogRocket today to improve your debugging workflow. All right, so let's go ahead and get started here. Let's just jump right in. What are design systems? Emma, I know you have a lot of experience with design systems, so why don't you start us off? So design systems are systems of design. <laughs> I'm feeling a little sassy Good. this morning. Good. <laughs> so um, design systems are really a set of standards and patterns and components that allow you to build your brand identity and create consistent user experiences across many different products and endpoints. So yeah, short version is a set of standards and visual assets. Now, what goes into that is a little bit more complex because there are three main foundational components. And when you hear designers talk about design systems, they're most often referring to like a sketch UI kit or the foundational design language. When you hear an engineer refer to design systems, they're talking about component library or style guide. In reality, it's all three of these things wrapped up together. So a design language, these are actually the sets of standards and visual assets that guide the creation of your brand within a product. And they include things like accessibility guidelines, content guidelines, spacing and grid, topography, color, and visual design components. And you can create those with Sketch. Sketch is usually like the most popular option. You can also use Figma or Adobe. On the component library side, we've got coded components, and they actually bring your design system to life. And you'll often see a lot of design systems build them with both like plain JavaScript and also maybe a framework or library or many frameworks or libraries. You'll often see React components or maybe styled components. And lastly, the style guide is the documentation that kind of encapsulates the language and the component library into one easy-to-find location. Okay, so you just said a lot of words. I did. And I understood most of them, but I have one really important question that's really not that important, but I'm just curious. When did you build your first design system? So I worked at IBM for three years, and my second year there, I joined a design team working as a front-end engineer uh, with them. And I started by like prototyping a lot in code and then it quickly switched over to kind of building like a a low fidelity design kit for IBM quantum computing which was really cool because I noticed that like we had a a ton of different varying styles like things were pretty inconsistent so I I started trying to build a design system IBM for quantum and it didn't really work out because as we'll find out they require dedicated teams Um, that's generally the most successful way to build one but most recently at LogMeIn I've been pioneering this design system we're building called Chameleon, and we're building it from the ground up. And it serves multiple products like GoToMeeting, GoToWebinar, GoToConnect, and products like that. So most recently, I've been really working on it. That is so cool. Uh, Ellie, what is your experience with design systems? So non-professionally, I've been working for early stage startups for pretty much my whole career. So 
not a huge amount of time or usually people in order to implement something more formal like that. But I do have them for my personal stuff. So my personal branding stuff all follows fundamental styling. And so I have the rainbow letters and all that all designed out and my fonts and all that. So like my resume and my portfolio site and my blog post, they all follow this kind of style guide. And same with my blog site as well. So not a ton professionally and not to the same level that Emma has by any means, but I definitely try to, at least with my personal branding, keep everything consistent, mostly for fun, but also it's kind of cool. <laughs> Kelly, you said you work with Shopify Polaris, right? I do. Yeah. That was actually my my first foray into ever using a design system as well. So it was a bit of a learning curve for me to kind of understand what all is included in it, but I think it shed some light on just how useful it is to have a design system. And, you know, when talking about early startups and everything, I think it brings up to a good point, like answering the question, does every company need a design system? And in my opinion, and I'm going to say this because I also have a small company, the answer is no, because I don't think when you're, you know, when you're working on like a small team, it becomes one extra step that you need to take to add onto your plate when you're probably already wearing about 16 different hats in the first place. Mm -hmm, absolutely. I think that primarily design systems, well, there are two things. One, design systems, even the open source ones like Google Material Design and IBM Carbon, who are the primary stakeholders? The stakeholders are the teams that are using these systems. And while they're open source, generally you wouldn't go and consume IBM Carbon and use it to build your portfolio. You can, but primarily they open source it to share their learnings and um, the way that they build it, right? The second thing is you absolutely do not need a design system if you're building like your portfolio, for example. Like it's not a necessity it, by any means. I think where they really shine is when you've got multiple products underneath a brand identity. So for LogMeIn, we have GoToMeeting, GoToConnect, GoToWebinar, and they all have the same brand identity and we want to be consistent across endpoints and products. Well, that's a great use case for a design system, but I personally wouldn't go build, you know, let's say my dad wanted to start a restaurant, I wouldn't go build his restaurant website with a design system, it wouldn't make much, the opportunity cost is a lot, uh, a lot more unbalanced. Yeah, I used to contract teach at Capital One. And they had massive design systems and a ton of documentation on it. So definitely a big thing for bigger companies, especially one as huge as Capital One with tons of products. Ellie, I think I learn every day another place that you have taught at. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, it's like Allie has worked with so many fun companies. You've opened so many limited liability corporations. <laughs> what am I collecting? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, passport stamps? Oh, true. Well, once you're in I Europe, they don't stamp husbands. it. I live in the EU, so now they don't stamp it when I travel. That's, that is true. Just depending on where, where in Europe you go. I know. Last time I went to, no, it was when I went to Canada. This is a side story here. <laughs> I had a 12-hour layover in Canada when I was flying from Boston to Copenhagen. And somehow I got in and out of the airport without ever getting my, without ever getting my passport stamped. And I'm not really what? sure if I just like accidentally snuck into the country. I just kind of followed the path to exit the airport. Hmm. But I don't know. I never actually got a passport stamped to Canada, and it was kind of sad. So if you're oh, listening, no. don't try to avoid customs. It's not <laughs> advice. Right. 
important getting kicked out of a country <laughs> is not a fun experience i'm not going to go into that one. <laughs> oh gosh <laughs> okay speaking of benefits of design systems <laughs> um, <laughs> there are many benefits and i believe personally that the benefits outweigh the negatives when you have the right use case and the main benefit of a system is consistency because when you have multiple products and endpoints under one brand identity you want to elicit that brand identity in every facet of your your user experience. So consistency is definitely a big one. Accessibility is another one. Uh, I don't know how many times I've seen companies have to stop what they're doing and overhaul their products for accessibility. So yeah, accessibility is a big one. I know we had to pause our work and, and overhaul our products for accessibility. And now that they're accessible, it's great, but we should be baking accessibility into our, our products as we build it and not as an afterthought. So that's definitely a big one. I don't know. Do you guys know of any other benefits for design systems? From my experience of working with Polaris, it definitely speeds up your development time. There's not much that you have to question about how you need to go about designing something or how you need to go about developing something because the guidelines are already there for you. And I will just plus one to the consistency part of it as well. As a like on the on the customer facing side, it's much more satisfying to use a product when you're already familiar with the the brand or you become familiar with the brand over time. You know exactly what to expect, even if you're using a, a second product from that same brand. I heard a quote once that design systems should be boring. They should free you up to focus on the fun aspects of design and development. And it's true when you think about it. It should really take away the conscious thought and effort that goes into, well, how many pixels of padding should my button have? What size font should it have? Those things should be predetermined for you and you should just be able to import your button and, and go. So that's definitely one thing. But I think also one oversight that we don't think about when it comes to benefits is easier onboarding. And this is uh, too fast, multifaceted. The first is that when you have new hires come in, it's easier to onboard them if you've got documentation in one place about how to build your products. And the second is if you have multiple teams working on multiple products, but they're using one design system, that means you can take one person from team on product A and put them on a, you know, a team working on product B and they'll just you'd be just as efficient. So I think that's a huge benefit. Something that I read, there was a blog post forever ago about Brigham and Young University, and they obviously have a bunch of different websites for athletics and internal stuff and student-facing stuff. So they had pretty much like a different logo on every site, even just the design and the different shades of blue that they were using on every site was different as well. And so then they used web components and built custom web components and use that as their design language across, across those different sites. So I think that's definitely a huge use case for it. If you have incredibly incohesive styling across different sites. It's kind of funny that you see certain companies or organizations you would never expect to have a design system, and they do. NASA is one example. They have a design system, right? Because it's not just about building digital products. It's also about building your brand into their spacesuits and how they create you know, their space shuttles and all of that. Also, political campaigns is another big area for design systems. And uh, so, yeah, it's literally everywhere. But there are also some drawbacks to design systems. Kelly, have you run into any drawbacks with using Polaris or just systems in general? I wouldn't say I really had uh, any kind of like drawbacks when trying to start using Polaris, but I will kind of touch on again that us having our own design system isn't feasible because when you're a smaller team and you don't have the kind of resources to dedicate to building a design system, it's very time intensive to actually build one up. And I just don't have that kind of availability to either do myself or have my my team build one out. And so that's that's definitely a drawback of, of using 
or creating a design system. And you also have to have another layer of subject matter experts as well. So you have to have somebody that's good at design and knows how to implement a design system. And a lot of like early stage startups just don't have that capacity and don't have those people along with the time. Yeah, that's true. And I think so Nathan Curtis is one person in design systems who's very well established. He does a lot of research. He does a lot of building design systems. And he listed out a couple of different governance systems or team structures for building them, one of which is the centralized model. So that's where one team is in charge of the system and guides its evolution. And this is where we are at LogMeIn. And this is kind of what I would suggest um, if you're trying to get started is dedicate you know, resources to building this product because it's a product, it's not a project. But again, that is a large investment. And to get upper management to okay on that uh, is kind of hard, especially when they can't see this tangible fiscal reward right away. There are a couple of other models like the federated model where like you have a few different people from different teams in charge of the system. And maybe even a hybrid of these two approaches is great. But, um, you know, centralized model is the ideal uh, team structure. In my experience, it's just really hard to get buy-in. And the thing is too, like it's never done. This is a product. It's not a project and it's ever evolving and there will always be new things on the roadmap and it's never done. And so the question is like, how do you measure the success and how do you know when, when it's in a, a good place to start seeing reward? I think you can, I don't know if that's a, a hypothetical question or a rhetorical question, but I think you can definitely measure success just based on, you know, what teams are actually getting done and how quickly they're able to start implementing, you know, or building something new out or implementing changes to something because they're able to, you know, track that time and progress, hopefully um, pre-design system versus post-design system. Yeah, I think the hard part with that, I totally agree. I think the hard part with that is it takes time to get there, especially if you're not, oh, yeah. you're not working with a, a dedicated team. So like IBM Carbon has several teams dedicated just to building their system versus LogMeIn. We're in the, the phase, the ramp up phase where we're trying to get people on board full time to work on it. And that's the hard part is it's really easy to communicate the benefits of a design system to your teams and get them all excited. But when there's not a dedicated team building this thing out and building it quickly, people get discouraged and kind of lose interest. It also requires an element of change and you know how everybody feels about making changes to their workflow, especially when they did not decide to change it. So, you know, you also have to have the post creation buy-in as well, not only getting people to buy into actually having a team to build a design system out, but then actually implementing it and utilizing it. Yeah, and one of the, the biggest struggles that we're having on our team is well, A, when you're working with multiple products and multiple endpoints, there's a lot of uh, opinions that come along with that, and rightfully so. But one of the biggest discussions we're having is, do we take a more um, operating system native feel to our products? So, for example, would we keep the native fonts for Mac versus Windows, or do we go fully custom branding experience uh, in our applications, like you would see Google does, uh, IBM Carbon uses Plex as their font. It's a custom font. So the question is, do we stick with the native paradigms for app development, or do we actually take a, a branded custom approach? So there are road bumps along the way. That's just one of them. Um, and again, how do you make decisions as a, as a design team where it doesn't feel like it's one or two people like forcing these decisions upon all products, but you're not overwhelmed by the amount of voices you know, expressing their opinion? Sure thing. So let's let's switch gears a little bit. You know, we've talked about the pros and cons of, of a design system. Let's talk about how you build a design system. 
Emma, I'm going to again default to you on this because you have all the experience. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I will preface this with like, I'm still in the ramp up phase of building a system and I think I'm learning a lot along the way. I wouldn't say I've built a successful system. So I'll preface it with that. But these are the things that based on the research I've done and some of the work we've done thus far, these are what the steps I would take. So the first thing you should do, and this is assuming that you're already working with existing products. If you're building from the ground up, you have a clean slate and you can skip this step. The first thing is to take a visual inventory of all components in all of your applications in every state that they incur. So buttons, for example, uh, you see them all over the place. Take screenshots of every button in your UI, primary, secondary, tertiary, all states, so active, hover, focus, disabled, and put them into one location and you'll be able to see how inconsistent they are across all of your products. And then once you have this visual inventory, you kind of got to decide how to prioritize them. And I always like to ask four questions here. How feasible is it to design, develop, and test this component? How frequent is this component used within the product? Because buttons are used a lot more frequently than accordions. How much impact is it going to have on the success of our product cohesiveness? And how inconsistent are they throughout your UIs? Um, Buttons are typically an example of something that's extremely inconsistent. And once you've got these four questions answered, then you can kind of prioritize your backlog. And generally, you want to focus on things that are very inconsistent, that are going to have a high impact and a low feasibility, or I'm sorry, a high feasibility. So they're pretty generally easy to come to an agreement on or to actually create. Once you've got this priority backlog, then you can start to build your system. So you can create sketch and UI assets. Maybe one more preface to that is you need to define your brand identity ahead of time. So you need to understand how you want your products to make your users feel. So do you want your users to feel a sense of trust? This is going to really drive your color palette discussions and your your typography uh, and your font family choices. So like if I'm building a banking app, I probably don't want to use red as my primary color and I probably don't want to use like a monospace font. That would elicit some kind of like fear and distrust. Um, there's a lot of psychology behind these things. So yeah, I would maybe stick with green because green is trustworthy and, and maybe deals with money or like makes you subconsciously think about money. And I would use maybe a serif font because serifs are typically more, what's the right word, like established fonts. So you need to dis- establish your brand identity first, and then you can actually start building these things. Um, a lot of teams use Sketch. You can also use Figma or Adobe. You can build out these assets. After that, or simultaneously in parallel come the coded components in your you know your shared repository and then lastly you've got to document them in your style guide so that was a long answer but that's generally the process i would take <laughs> do you do like bootstrap style style sheets where you can just cdn them in or something yeah so we're building ours where the styles are separate so we've got a ui UI framework that's just SAS compiled or transpiled on a CSS. So you can just import the styles if you want, and they're all namespaced so you can use them with existing products and not get naming collisions. And then that gets imported directly into the um, the React library. So yeah, we like to separate those concerns and we like to have each individual element have its own style sheet. So if I just want to style a button, I don't need to import the entire library. That's really, really cool. I like that. So we talked a little bit about how you have these style sheets and then also have components and all that, but you also talked about the documentation. So what kind of tools do you normally use for that documentation? So we are building a fully custom style guide, and we're doing that to kind of bake our brand identity into our style guide as well and make it feel like our products. 
and we are using i'm i'm using gatsby i'm the only one building this at the moment so i've decided to use gatsby with mdx and the reason i'm using mdx is so that i can include code snippets that are also editable with react live which is really cool so our teams will be able to go in and change the jsx code and actually see the output live of what the component's going to look like i can change it from like a primary button to a secondary in real time so uh, gatsby with mdx is a great solution for that but if you're not comfortable or you don't have time building your own custom style guide, you can also use Envision DSM, the design system manual. It's more of like a, a content management system. So it's more, it has a UI. So it's a little bit more user-friendly and there's less overhead. But I personally am using Gatsby. You can really build it any way that you would build a documentation site. I've never heard of Envision DSM before, but I, I use Envision for you know our clients uh, showing like the site previews and everything. How does it differ exactly from as uh, like the user interface goes for working with Envision DSM versus regular Envision? So I'm not fully certain of this because I haven't worked too much with Envision DSM because we were building our own custom style guide. But I think it it's kind of more of like a CMS in my like what I would assume is that it's more like a CMS where you go and like add in the fields that you want. You would like tell it what you want in the nav bar and then you would fill out the page content. Or maybe it's more similar to like Notion if you use Notion for note taking, something like that. Um, but Envision itself is is meant for creating mood boards and for creating, um, you know, prototypes and all of that. So I will say Envision is one of the best companies for doing design system work. If you go to their site, they've got a ton of really great resources for design systems in general. So if you're looking to build a style guide, I would highly recommend checking them out. And we'll pop a link into our resources section so you can take a look. Okay, so what exactly should a style guide contain? I'm sure you can get pretty pretty detailed as far as everything that can go in there. So what are the general uh, components and everything that you include in yours? So one of the things that I did before it's we started building ours was kind of do some research into how other companies were building theirs and what were in their style guides. And I kind of like made a graph or a table and I kind of like checked off the box of what companies were using what things. And there are some things that are generally across all of the style guides. So you'll generally have getting started, like how to actually download and use like the UI kit, if you have a UI kit and the component library, typically you see contribution guidelines. So how can I contribute to a sketch library? How can I contribute to the code repos? And then foundation is the big one. So foundation includes things like your brand identity. What is your brand? What's your personality and things like that. Accessibility guidelines is a big one. Also, you might even see content. I know MailChimp's design system is great. They have an entire section just for content. So when I write words in my UI, what tone should the voice have and things like that. That's one that's really useful. Spacing and grid is another one. So what does the padding look like? Uh, where should my elements be laid out on a grid? Things like that. Topography, so we're talking type scale and font families and things like that. And then color. So these are the foundational elements. Beneath that, you'll typically see components. So you'll see like buttons, dropdowns, alerts. And if you click into those, oftentimes what you'll see is twofold. One is the design. So the red line design specs for that component and also the, the development side of things. So you'll see a code snippet, maybe a link to a storybook application. Um, you'll see what properties that you need to set on these React components that are required, which ones are optional and things like that. And then lastly, something that was really cool that I want to add is component status. So we have a ton of different components. They're going to be versioned 
typically you would see like the modules being versioned as opposed to the overall system. Like if I update like a textile and a button, I don't need to reversion the whole entire system. So given that typically you're going to version these components by themselves, you might see a, um, a component status page that'll list every component and what phase it's in or what version it's in within your system. So those are generally like the foundational elements. So you briefly mentioned Storybook. It's kind of a side note, but I'm using it for my first project right now. It is so cool. Isn't it great? I love like, Storybook. I can't believe I've never come across it before. Well, it's so easy to get started with. Like, I was shocked at how easy it was to use. So we've been talking about all the awesome benefits of design systems, their pros and cons and all that. But once you actually have a design system in place, how we've talked about how it can go really well, but can they fail as well? Absolutely. I think the biggest reason they fail is low adoption. Your primary stakeholders are your teams, your design teams and your engineering teams. And if they don't want to use it, then they're not going to. And then who are you building it for? So low adoption rates is the number one reason that they fail. The second reason they fail generally is that you scale too quickly. And this is something we're running into where we're trying to accommodate three different products to four different products and all of the endpoints. So like Mac, you know, mobile, like Android and iOS, Windows and web all under one system. And we're starting right now. And we're struggling with this because when you scale too quickly, it's just too much. It's it's way too much. It's there's too many co- too many cooks in the kitchen, and it's um you should really prove your MVP first, and then scale as necessary. But let's say like I'm like oh I'm gonna add I don't know toasts into my design system. Well, why do we need to add every single component in? Let's add the ones that we're using, and if we need more, let's add them at that point. But don't start scaling because you think you'll need all these things. You're gonna be quickly overwhelmed. You said toast, and now I'm craving toast. <laughs> I don't know why everything everything is food. Kebab case. What else? Hamburger menu. Exactly. Everything is food because everybody loves food. It's very relatable. We're all full, full snack developers. Hey. <laughs> okay, so who in a company would be responsible for building out a design system? Like, are there certain roles within a company that, that make the most sense for who would be, like, in charge of this? So if you're going to have a centralized team, so a dedicated team building out the system, you're going to want a multidiscipline team, I think that's the word, where you've got designers, you've got engineers, and you have content writers, and all of that wrapped up in project management. This is something we're struggling with right now as well, as we don't have a project manager, and it's it's a little bit stressful at the moment. I would, you know, we're going to get one soon, but when you don't have a project manager, it kind of falls onto the team to manage their own projects. So that's the general makeup of a team in general. Maybe you even want a QA person on there uh, just to kind of put their, their voice in. But what's really cool is when we talk engineers, we're really talking about almost a new field of engineer because they have to have some knowledge of UX and visual design. And this is where we get into this concept of UX engineer. And it's a very new field. It is being hired for, you know, some of the bigger companies like Google and Etsy and Spotify are all hiring UX engineers. And they're engineers who are front-end focused but have um, a pretty decent amount of UX and visual design knowledge. Which is great because I was struggling a lot in my career until I found this path. I never was super deep into front end in terms of like APIs and analytics and all of these kinds of things. I was definitely more design focused and I felt lost until I realized it's actually a career path that you can be hired for. Is this a field that you, any of you have heard of before uh, or have desire to like look into at all? I think for me... 
It's something I've heard of mostly from you. (laughs) (laughs) I never talk about this. Never, never, ever. (laughs) And so I think it's an awesome thing. It's something that I was really interested in implementing eventually at Dev, especially because it's an open source project. And so people from all over the world that aren't necessarily working for the team are adding to it and adding to the appearance of the site. And so if there was a really consistent style guide, I think that would be really, really helpful. I personally probably wouldn't be super interested in working in it full-time just because it's not the side of code that I'm most interested in. But I think it's really important, especially as products scale and more and more people are working on them. For sure. How about you, Kelly? I'm definitely more of the use the the uh, design system as opposed to create the design system. I am full full in like fully in on the front end. I all I want to do is code, 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 no matter what. <laughs> is that a song? I'm so sorry. Nah, that's okay. Got pain here. Yeah, I think it's nice though because I've received a lot of messages from people who also felt a little bit ostracized from front end development because. It just wasn't clicking with them fully. And then they found this world of UX engineering and they're like, this makes sense for me. I personally have always been more creative. I just said creative really weird. I creative (laughs) when it comes to like the arts. So like I was always very musical. I was very um, creative in those aspects. And so to be able to marry that now with my very technical side is, is amazing. So it's not for everyone. Yeah, I think the other interesting thing for me, at least with design work, is that I think that I'm pretty good at designing my own stuff, so according to my own aesthetic and what I like, but I really, really struggle doing any sort of design work for a company or according to anybody else's vision. So I think that I could never do design professionally to any extent, but I could definitely do it for my own stuff. And I think that that's an interesting clarification as well is that like, I'm creative. I can make stuff that looks good according to me, but not necessarily something that like sells a brand well. Yeah, definitely. There's a very good reason why I hire designers and I don't do my own design work. <laughs> you don't want me to do any of your design work, trust me. I feel like this could be an entire episode is talking about how hard design is, but we all think it's easy. <laughs> it's like, I can design anything. And it's like, you sit down to try to design something and you're like, I drew a square. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because I was just going to make the same exact joke. Are we the same person? We're twinning. (laughs) Let's shift gears real quick and talk about a couple of different tools you can use to build out your design system. So we already touched on Storybook a little bit. It allows you to build UI components faster. So it's an open source tool for developing UI components for React, Vue, and Angular. And you just simply npm install it and you create little files with your, your stories inside. And it just, you run it locally and it has all of the documentation for your components. It's super awesome. Highly recommend it. I actually wrote a blog on using Storybook, so we can link that down in the show notes. It's also used by a lot of really big companies too, like Dropbox and Airbnb and Lyft and GitHub, all you said. IBM as well, yeah. Yeah, and then um, there are other tools you can use as well. So Pattern Lab, Pattern Lab, I think that's the name. It was created by Brad Frost, and it gives you a way to model your um, your com- UI components in like a very minimalist um, user interface experience. Envision, again, we already touched on Envision. Um, Sketch is a popular tool for creating UI libraries, but it's only for Mac, unfortunately, and it is a a paid app. So if you want something free that works across all computers or like operating systems, Figma is definitely the way to go. So those are just a few tools that you can use to build a system. This is a total, total, total tangent, but I just learned that Figma is written in WebAssembly. And I think that that's incredibly fascinating because it works super, super fast on online. You don't have to download it to your computer. And I think that technologically, it's really interesting too. 
I think it's also fascinating that you can import a sketch file right into Figma and automatically converts it and you can use it immediately. What? Totally. I know. I just tried to use it uh, this past week for the first time and I was completely blown away by Figma. Dang. That's awesome. I'm still a sketch loyalist and I don't know why that is. I tried to use Figma for a while and I just couldn't get used to it for some reason. But I do think Figma is incredible, especially since it's free and all that. But I am a loyalist to sketch. (laughs) Mostly because of just time using it. Yeah. One other tool I just remembered was Framer. Framer X. Framer X? Yeah. Framer X is super cool. It's It markets itself as an interactive uh, design tool. So bring your creative ideas to life with Framer X, the best tool for interactive design. So it's it's meant for prototyping. But what's cool is uh, you can export React components. I don't know if they do other JavaScript libraries or frameworks, but um, it seems to be super cool. You can do animations with it. So if you're looking to like build out component libraries or... or prototypes i would highly recommend framer oh wow i wonder how good the react code is it's actually i was super skeptical i was like oh don't just export (laughs) react components like let an engineer do it and then i looked at it and i'm like okay i'm impressed (laughs) yeah because like the svgs you can uh, export and sketch they're gnarly they're terrible (laughs) well i'm wondering like because in general if you're going to build a component library that's extensible you don't want to have any business logic obviously uh inside of it so i'm curious how they handle exporting components like i'm curious also too do they update it to include react hooks like but there's no business logic so i'm not really sure but some some components need state if you're building like a sidebar for example you need to know whether it's you know collapsed or expanded or an accordion so that has like local stuff so i'm not really sure I'd be curious to learn more about that. Yeah. Totally. Speaking of learning more, there are a number of people in the design system world who definitely deserve a shout out for, you know, their contributions to educating us all on design systems. Who do you think of when you think of design systems? So the first name that comes to mind is Brad Frost, but I feel like he was the pioneer for systems in an uh, an era when there was nothing about uh, design systems. He's one of the most notable, and I think his atomic design principles, so this idea of having atoms versus molecules, was really foundational. Um, so atoms would be components like buttons or dropdowns, and molecules are made up of atoms, right? When you think about um, science and, and nature and biology, molecules could be like a modal, and a modal includes buttons, and it might also include an accordion. I don't know why you'd put an accordion in a modal, but, you know, things <laughs> happen. Extra interactivity. <laughs> so he's, yeah, he's been the, the one that I gravitated to first just because he has a lot of material. He wrote a book about atomic design and, and all of that. But I will say that Tatiana Mack gave a talk um, called Systems of Systems, and it really focused around making inclusive design systems. And I thought that was really fascinating. We're going to link that down in the show notes as well. So there are definitely some other some other people making waves. Um, have you heard of uh, Clarity Comp at all? A little bit, yeah. I think I saw stuff on Twitter. Classic. Yeah. So this is a design systems conference, which is super cool that now it's such a popular concept of of building products or a way of building products that now we've got conferences for it. So that's pretty neat. Definitely link that down in the show notes as well. And then one last person I want to shout out is Nathan Curtis. He's also done a ton of research. I mentioned him a little bit earlier. He has a multitude of blog posts on Medium. And I can remember like the first blog that I read of his that explained how your team or your company spends $100,000 building buttons. And he broke down how that's possible and it blew my mind. It's like when you break down the amount of time it takes to design, build, and test a button because 
you know, you think about you have all the states like primary, secondary, tertiary, active, hover, focus, disabled, large, medium, small buttons, um, icon buttons, those kinds of things. When you break that down into design, development, and test, assuming like, I don't know, you make, I don't know how many dollars per hour he estimated, and you add it all up, it was like several thousand dollars. And then it was like, you, as you scale that to how many teams you have building the same kind of buttons, and it's like $100,000. And that, for me, that was the first time I was like, holy crud, that is a lot of money to be building buttons. <laughs> as a business owner, that's terrifying. <laughs> I know. It's nuts. Is there anyone that y'all have heard of um, in relation to design systems or companies maybe that you've heard building design systems? You mentioned MailChimp earlier. That's their their design system, especially since they did their rebrand. It's it's impressive, and they did like a whole article on on how they got to where they are. This new design system, um, something we can link to in the resources. And obviously, Shopify is a big one for me. The Polaris was my first foray into into design systems, and they made it very easy to walk into as somebody who has no prior knowledge of design systems. Yeah, I think there are some other companies doing really good work too. I know Trello. I always say it's called Taco, but it's not called Taco. It's called Nachos. I always mix up my, my <laughs> Mexican <laughs> food names. So they're building one called Nachos that is pretty cool. Um, IBM Carbon was the first experience I had with a system because my friends were the ones building it. And so it was pretty cool to see that. It was my first experience. Yeah, I think uh, more and more companies are hopping on this design system strain. Spotify and Etsy both have design systems. Slack just released an article about how they were building their system. So it's definitely catching on. Yeah, sounds like it's a, a nice win for all companies adopting design systems. Totally. I feel like I learned so much from just recording this episode. So many things about design systems and what they are and how to use them and how they're actually implemented. So definitely if I work for a bigger company at some point, that would be a really interesting thing to to look into. So I want to transition into talking about some wins. First, we have our community win from Darren, and he improved his team's project setup documentation so that other junior developers in his team could get the project running easily. That's a huge one and super, super important. Documentation is a huge part of making it easier to write the actual code for projects. So thank you for sharing with us, Darren. Emma, what was your win? So, because we haven't talked about design systems enough, I am going to be leading a friend and master's workshop on March 12th about design systems. So if you're interested, I'd love for you to check out like the live stream or the recording and let me know what you think. What about you, Allie? I wrote an ebook all about the things that I wish I knew when I was starting out coding. And so it's my first time writing something a little bit longer than just a blog post. So I'm pretty excited about that. It was a lot of work, but glad that it has come out. And, and you, I actually used my personal design system for my site. Well, to you wrote that in Sketch, didn't you? I wrote it in Google Docs and then copied it over to Sketch oh, okay. because I didn't want to learn like an ebook platform. I can't believe yeah. it. If, if, if you already <laughs> have tools that work, why, why reinvent the wheel? Yeah. And I had my design on there already. So it could make it pretty. Kelly, Perfect. how about yours? So my company converted our first headless commerce lead, and I talked about headless commerce in previous episodes. This is a really exciting thing for for me and for the tap room because headless commerce is kind of a new space for Shopify with their releasing the the GraphQL store for an API and the fact that we're already starting to work with clients who are are willing to kind of pioneer this space of, of going into headless commerce on Shopify is really exciting, and I'm excited to see how uh, 
I'm excited to see the final product. Right now, it's a it's a bit of a learning curve because I'm learning uh, Vue.js at the same time while I try to build this out. And I'm running out of headspace to figure it all out. I will figure it out, though. It's still a win. You got this? That's, that's so awesome. <laughs> okay, so we've got a ton of announcements for you all before we sign off. First off, if you like this episode, tweet about it. You know the drill, but we'll select one tweeter to win a Ladybug sticker each week. They're super cute, so you definitely want one. And if you want to hear somebody join us on the Ladybug podcast and share their perspectives, fill out our nomination form on our website. You can hear pretty much anybody you want, and we'd love to bring more people on, especially people that we don't hear from every day. And we post new podcasts every Monday, so make sure to be subscribed to be notified and leave a review. We love to see both your feedback and to see that you just love what we're doing. So see you next week.